Rising Star Podcast with your host, Kelly Hughes. On today's show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Uta Lemper, legendary stage star. She is shifting gears on this latest project. It is called Time Traveler, the name of the album and the really amazing video using AI technology. We're going to talk about that and hopefully a few uh, Broadway secrets. So welcome to the show, Uta. <laughs> Hello, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me. Schön dich kennen zu lernen. <laughs> Schön dich kennen zu lernen. Okay, <laughs> nice try. <laughs> well, you you got to adjust that little thing in the throat a little bit for, for the zu lernen. And yeah, it's a bit like Hebrew, you know. <laughs> it's placed a bit, a bit more in the throat. But you know what? It's much easier to speak English. You know, I, I like when you do it, and I love when you speak or sing in not only German, English, but your French when you do Edith Piaf is, oh, beautiful. Yeah. Well, French is a very special language. It has a special musicality to it and a poetry. And the minute you speak or sing a word, you already paint a picture. You're already in a three-dimensional painting of... Uh, Monet or money and you use colors it's it's a holder you somewhere in the park on Parc-Montsouris in Paris and it brings you straight into a very different culture and uh that I I love I love the whole French shtick <laughs> well, well before we wrap up I will gush a little bit about your stage work but today this is the release of a new album and it's been a long time coming yes um time traveler is uh is an interesting uh, album that really marks very much um, my present time, my life now as a more mature individual, um, someone who had like a almost 40 year career um, on stage and, and uh, in music. So it, um, it really marks a whole new um, chapter to, to, it basically says to me, sit down at the piano and write down some thoughts, put them in harmonies, create melodies, and talk about your soul and your heart. Talk about what the world looks like around you. Uh, make music and write songs about life and time passing and the incredible um, uh, spinning wheel that we all cannot escape. Mm -hmm. You're known as an interpreter of other people's music, but for this album... You know, you're the composer. Well, I've been composing for almost 20 years. Uh, when I 20 years ago, I did um, I released this album, Punishing Kiss, with the songs by Tom Waits and Elvis Costello, Nick Cave. And that was the first step into a more a contemporary world of contemporary writers, because before this, my 15 uh, recordings were all repertoire. Kurt Weill, Bertolt Brecht, Hans Eisler, The Seven Deadly Sins, The Berlin Cabaret Songs, some uh, musical works and so and so. So by the year 2000, I was uh, suddenly um, catapulted into a new era and I thought, um, okay, the record company hooked up this album and had very nice ideas. You know, I love all these artists. Of course, I was very honored. But then I thought to myself, I want to be true to myself. Like I am when I sing a Kurt Weill song, I dig into my life. Uh, even though it is a classic song, I bring to it the uh, uh, the depth of my life experience. 
And why shouldn't I do this myself? You know, and I always was connected to the word. I love to write stories, poetry, mm -hmm. observations, and I love to play the piano. And I, um, I'm not a good pianist at all. I mean, <laughs> I, I never play accompany uh, myself in my own shows, but I, um, I can just mess around, you know, and create great harmonic uh, successions and exactly the kind of uh, harmonies I want to hear. Mostly minor, melancholic, um, jazzy, blues, soul orientated harmonies. And so that's after the year 2000, I started doing this. And my first album that I wrote myself was 2004, Between Yesterday and Tomorrow, all my own songs. Um, and uh, I toured it in Europe, not too much in America. And after this, I started as a triptych of um, poetry work. That means I put into music the works and the words, the very anarchic words of Charles Bukowski, then in succession to that Pablo Neruda that was born out of a relationship, a collaboration with a South American musician on Bandoneon. And the third one was Paulo Coelho, this great literate who wrote the book, The Alchemist, uh, had inspired me. And I know him, um, you know, we have a friendship, and he permitted me to use one of his wonderfully uh, philosophic jewels, his book, The Manuscripts from Accra, to put this into music. So these were conceptual works. And then um, after this, of course, I did uh, more repertoire works. And then suddenly by last year, I thought it's time to to uh, write myself. But there's a whole story around it if you want to. Uh, I have to start at the beginning. This album has a very special story to it with, that might be quite interesting for, for people of my generation to hear. You know, your fans, I think, need to be in a certain state of mind to listen to this. They have to let go uh, of the stage, Uta, and, and think, you know, you're getting back to some of your, your jazz rock roots. I mean, this is actually, you know, part of your past. You used to be in a jazz rock band. Oh, yes, that was when I was a teenager. Teenager. <laughs> I was 16 years old. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole theme of time travel, you're, you're traveling way back. Yes, yeah, so um, in the year 2000, um, my partner and now husband of 24 years, um, Todd, we collaborated downtown in his music studio in Chelsea here in Manhattan. It was an analog 16-track tape machine. And uh, we were fresh in love. And we, you know, I wrote a bunch of songs inspired by this tour, Punishing Kiss. So we were in the basement recording these songs, um, editing it myself, ourselves, cutting the tape, gluing it back together in the old days. And then... Um, I suggested to the record company, um, you know, to make an album just with my songs. And they said, oh, no, no, we want to do Jacques Brel and a little bit more Léo Ferré and Boris Vian and so and so. They said, okay, so let's do that first then. And then let's talk again in 2003 or four when we can come back together to, to do my own songs. By that time, our studio had changed to Pro Tools from a tape machine to Pro Tools. The tape uh, reels... Uh, ended up in boxes in the basement somewhere. Um, and we forgot about it, kind of, because then I wrote new songs. New life had proceeded. New issues came up. And I wrote a whole bunch of new songs. So on the, on the album 2004, the new songs. Until about a year and a half ago, there, were, there was a flood uh, in, in my uh, parents-in-law house on Long Island. They had a flood. And they said, there's some boxes down here. You guys want to save that from the floods? 
we looked at the boxes, we opened them and we saw these tapes and we saw, oh my God, we want to hear because that was our wonderful time. We were filled with euphoria and love and everything. Let's try to hear. But the tape machine was rotten and old and rusted in the corner. So we had to bring them to a specialist in Brooklyn to... um. Sorry about this uh, little click there. Um, a specialist in Brooklyn to um, to uh, digitize them. Apparently, they put it in the oven. They bake it somehow. And thank God we didn't have a lasagna come out, but the <laughs> glorious tape in shape to be digitized. We listened and thought it was wonderful. Um, just a great experience to um, to go back in time and um, really to uh, to listen to that, what was in our hearts 23 years ago. And we um, started producing around it, keeping the core, the essence, the vocals, but then putting contemporary elements around it. And I hear and there sang some new um, lines, uh, try to match the old Uta with the new Uta, or the, the old Uta with the, the, the old Uta from 2000 with the really old Uta of 2023. <laughs> that would be the way to uh, describe it properly. And uh, it was in very interesting. The voice had changed, of course, in 23 years. But then suddenly one morning I was inspired. I woke up with the song Time Traveler in my head. I said, I'm going to write some new music for this album. It can't be just uh, old songs from the past. I, I want to contemporize this. And there all of a sudden I had written six or seven songs or more. And uh, Time Traveler was the first of the new wave. And it expresses very well the idea of um, time passing, through centuries in this case, because with AI, we created history passing in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a speedy frame in front of my eyes, watching you know, the rise and falls of the Mahagonis in the world, from the wars to peace, to uh, cold wars, to hot wars, to societies forming themselves, democracy rising and falling again. Um, a, a, a genius has been born. Um, humanity, uh, humanitarian ideas uh, arising from the ashes and falling again. It's an interesting video that really uh, um, suggests in an entertaining way um, passing. And the story is I am, of course, in the future and I'm coming to the past, which is now to save you. I'm in the future somewhere, uh, pretty much alone, I would say, on a deserted uh, um, um, spaceship and watching uh, humankind um come and go <laughs> well what did bit. it feel like when you saw your image in this ai landscape well some of it you see me as i am uh, like the more aged version of me and some of it uh, creates like an ageless weird uh time um young uta I was uh, very flattered. First of all, I said, oh, I, I like this AI lady. <laughs> but um, that was 30 years ago. And but I was I thought it was interesting that um, that time is such a relative thing. And uh, everything like you see is me now, the movements and the expression and everything. But it was formed and put a bit like in the movie Benjamin Button in a time warp or um, um, this this great movie uh, Interstellar. You go back and you touch the past, and this bridge between two time um, universes touching each other. It's the Einstein idea, of course. It's very interesting to put this into music and make a make a, a spiel with it. Um, 
yet it is a very um emerging um contemporary uh discussion about you know what 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 technology can do nowadays and how uh whether there is something like time travel and of course always my line in the song how often have i kissed the moon how often have i been on the moon and uh, I love this little moment when I am projected into the helmet of the astronaut in 1969. And uh, and that was me, but it wasn't the first time that I was on the moon. So there is a lot of wonderful um, uh, associations with uh, interesting discussions nowadays about reality and history and, and the future. You know, I, we were born in the same year, so I think I relate to your time frame references oh. <laughs> and are and are, and are you finding now at this stage of life it's like you know something that happened 30 years ago feels like yesterday it is definitely a strange sensation what time does i also just wrote my autobiography actually it just appeared now uh on the german market and actually next week is the opening and hopefully it will be licensed into English too. It's, it's very, very interesting reflections about what happened. And and I'm very much um, um, describing this year, this very special year, 1989, uh, when the Berlin Wall came down. And uh, at that moment, I, right before, a week before that, I was in East Berlin uh, speaking with all the rebels and the revolutionaries, the artists um, who were creating this revolution. And then the wall came down. I was in a taxi cab in New York performing here in Lincoln Center. A week later, I was there. And a month later, I performed in the big Brecht Theater, the Berlin Ensemble Theater in East Berlin that had been, uh, you know, uh, exclusive for the Communist Party for 30 years during the DDR. And suddenly it was open again. And here I was performing Kurt Weill and Brecht in this historical place where originally the Three Penny Opera in 1928 was premiered. And um, then after this... Um, we did the wall concert with Roger Waters. Remember, this was 1990 mm -hmm. on the Potsdamer Platz. And I was at the time the only German participating in this concert. Uh, it was a, a shivering. It was amazing. On this place, which was separation between East and West during the Cold War, filled with bombs and from the World War II and minefields from the Cold War separation, barbed wires and the old bunkers of Hitler still underneath those um, the spheres. It was so uh, incredibly symbolic to uh, do this concert and with, with all the other international artists. And um, so I'm writing about all of these incredible changes. Uh, but, but that's what I mean. Time is such a um, it's 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 amazing. Sometimes history passes very quickly, um, so quickly that it kind of the wave of history rolls over us into the future in front of us. And um, definitely, I felt that uh, during the time of the end of the Cold War, that history passed so quickly that even art couldn't follow. And also the pandemic, I would say, when the world stopped for a minute, like in that March 2020, and everything was still, it's almost like people couldn't be creative right away. It was not like, okay, I'm now having an artistic hiatus, I want to write some music. It was like, what is happening and it was overwhelming. Only now, slowly, uh, people are really defining what really happened to their artistic soul in those times. And for me, it was only two years later that I really became very creative. And um, this album was written uh, in the last year. So it was uh, somehow reflecting on this still stand. And I, I love to 
look at these songs, there are certainly thoughts about um, maturing and uh, finding that um, um, certain kind of uh, um, uh, stillness inside of you and uh, um, being able to put everything everything into a different perspective sometimes the pandemic certainly helped with this but it it was a, an incredible uh process of maturity to find the calm inside the storm that you were in the storm for so many years and decades and suddenly you'd actually find the calm inside the storm and that's the beautiful thing about growing older you know obviously there's two roads the road is the physical aging which is a bum because we hate back aches and <laughs> And um, and everything that happens to you that you're not as, as as fully on top of your physical power as you were before. But what we what we find is an incredible clarity, and it's beautiful to look back to put into perspective and to find that even though many dreams didn't come true, the dream the, the life you have now is a is the, the is a dream at least when you were able to somehow establish some kind of realities that that your heart wanted to um, um, make come true. And of course, living in music and being in the music uh, uh, genre and writing music, performing music for so many years, that is dream I had and I'm able to live with it. And sometimes only when you're in it and you look back, you see how glorious the past was. And looking in memory back, you see how many wonders you walked through. And yes, some of them were hurtful and some of them were just glorious. And in the moment, sometimes you just don't realize. Well, I'm impressed how daring you've been throughout your career. And especially, you know, when, when you get a job, you, you drop everything and move to a new country. Yeah, that's kind of a, like a <laughs> nomad, <laughs> a life of a nomad, right? But it was easy for me to do this before I had children, because I, you know, I just uh, my my jobs were my life, my love. I, I loved to go into a theater production and perform a show for a year or half a year, and to go into the next or shoot a movie, be with the cast together for three months in Moscow or Warsaw or or Scandinavia or Canada, just be together and experience this um, project together, and then move on to the next. I was a free bird, and I was an existentialist in a certain way. I really just saw the day today and try to like um, enjoy it as much as I can and never to self-destruct, but to create rather. And uh, once I had children, this was a difficult balance. And it, and yes, I did move then from Berlin to Paris with one child, from Paris to London with two children and um, from London to New York with two and then had two more children here in New York. So I certainly created a very big life and had lots of conflicts of heart to manage my uh, professional life with my biggest role to be a mother. I think your, your greatest skill is doing what you do and you make it seem so effortless. Oh, I'm not sure whether it is effortless. It certainly has a lot of homework on its back. And, but, but, the, uh, but the beauty is... <laughs> you you don't share that with the audience you, you do your homework but then when you bring it to the audience it's it's fresh and it feels like you're creating it from scratch right there on the stage that is true thank you for 
that comment that is certainly what I'm trying to achieve to in the moment when um, the, the moment the theater or the show starts, the music starts, I just fall into it and try to make it as authentic as possible, as truthful as possible. Uh, well, and, and it's it's not just focus either, because there's a lot of focused singers. Broadway has a lot of amazing performers, mm. but even alongside Broadway, you're unique. And, and I think maybe it's a little bit of your dance background, but there are some singers who sing with their entire body. And I think you're one of those. Oh, thank you so much. That's very poetic. Uh, I'm not, yes, I hope so. Uh, I mean, at least I feel the music with my entire body and I do, that means I, I sing and the movement is, it's its all a, a Gesamtkunstwerk, as we say in German. We are, it's like, it's all one. Out of the same source comes the interpretation, the vocal freedom and um, inspiration. And at the same time, the movement, you know, the movement that starts in the core of the body, goes through your shoulder, goes in the arm and goes towards your hand. It's just like a wave that continues and follows and um, always on the brink of a, uh, inspiration and creating it at the moment so not just execute I, I always have problem with executing a choreography for example I thought you know okay I'm executing this with somebody else's ideas but I'm always best when I just move on my own um on on my own dime in my own zone of uh of inspiration then then it is truly authentic in an interview you talked about the demands of performing seven or eight nights a week in a Broadway show. And, and you realized, you know, you wanted to do your own show at your own pace and you have, you know, this amazing cabaret show. Is, is that still the case? Do, do you, you know, do you feel the energy is, is harder to maintain? Oh no, no, no. I just, yesterday, I'm just back from Europe and I just performed my Marlene Dietrich project. I call it rendezvous with Marlene. It's, it's a, a big show, two and a half hours, uh, based on my phone call with her in 1987 in Paris that lasted three hours indeed. But of course, I created a very poetic theatrical project based on that dialogue between the young, very young Ute and the very old Marlene Dietrich at the time. And along this conversation with her, me being her, the older one, at the same time, me being the younger myself, we converse and she is telling me her story and her worries, her sorrows, her regrets. And uh, it's a very deep show because, of course, it's uh, very much about uh, her um, her very strong sadness about the fact that the Germans after World War II didn't want her to come back because she sang for the American soldiers in World War II. She was an expatriate and fought for the Americans. She was at the front lines um, and um, of course, she didn't want to. She said it didn't take much brains to be an anti-Nazi. She wanted to fight against Hitler, but yet, twenty years later, she wanted to go back to Germany, nineteen sixties, to perform with Bert Bacharach, her musical director. You know, her international uh, beautiful sing singing career, and the Germans threw her out and treated mm. her as traitor of the fatherland, as they said. Mm. And um, so until her death in 1992, believe it or not. So it's a very complicated story and it's a deeply troublesome German story. 
So I connected very deeply with her. She reached out to me to speak German with me at the time, 1987. And um, I created a, a rather theatrical project around it, of course, with music. And uh, I want to tell that story as a German from a different generation now, but also in a time warp, always reopening those dialogues about the past. And you know that that is a big mission in my life too. Many other programs I have are uh, dedicated to this subject, like Songs for Eternity, which is an evening of songs written in the ghettos and concentration camps, uh, a lot of them in Yiddish, some of them in German, some of them in Polish. And uh, <clears throat> and of course, you know, the, the works of the Jewish composer during Weimar. So it's all somehow connected in there. And I would say even on the new album, Time Traveler, you uh, can, if you listen well to the words, there is aspects of Bertolt in there, aspects of Jacques Prévert, uh, little poetic um, pearls that I take into those songs, which because I find them so strong and so powerful, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't avoid that. I can tell the Marlena project is very near and dear to you. And I actually saw that great promo clip online. What I was struck with was you play yourself as, you know, the young Uta, you know, talking on the phone with Marlena. You also play Marlena, but you tell her you want to ask her some questions. And she said, no, this is not an interview. I just want to talk to you. Exactly. That's indeed what she said. Uh, that was a clear memory. She didn't want to be asked any questions. I was curious, young and innocent and in, insecure and I said can I can I ask you some questions said, no it's not an interview I just want to talk <laughs> and I remember exactly yes that's that was a well when you uh, talk about time and compressing time do, do you feel like in those what was it a three-hour conversation do, do you feel sometimes we can have one conversation with a person and that counts as much as a lifetime of knowing someone if you really grab the essence of a person in a conversation and you, uh, you know, in those times it was on the telephone with a, with a spiral cord. So no visual, no Skype, uh, you couldn't see, but you could feel through the voice of uh, the bitterness and the sadness with the melancholy and, uh, and the wit. Uh, it was definitely uh, for the first 15 to 20 years I actually put it pretty much away in my memory I was so busy with other things and I didn't at the moment really realize the importance and the weight of this phone call and this con this this contact with this person um but U but Uta the older I went, but, went but, I, I, yeah yeah but, but don't you think she was passing the baton to you uh I, I think so very much, yes. And that's at least what I, I made it my mission to take that baton and carry it with me on my run through my life. And hopefully I can pass it on further. Yes, I, I took this upon myself to, to see it as a baton being passed to me. And I wanted to tell her story, to keep that story alive, to tell it to the Germans today, to their generation and to the world. Because some of them don't know, they just know Marlene Dietrich as a Hollywood diva. I don't know really what tragic of a, a situation she um, had with Germany later on in her home. She loved her home. She loved the German culture, the language. She was um, very educated. She read the books, the literature and poetry. And um, she 
she was very much, uh, you know, born and made in the German uh, culture at the time before the war. And she carried that through her whole life, I think. But yes, that was a big, that is a big story. And I'm so glad I'm bringing it out into the world. You know, there's something about being a cabaret performer that's unlike any other singing or acting. You know, you have it, Marlena had it, Piaf had it, maybe Judy Garland. And it's really um, an emotionally raw experience. It, 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 it really exposes you in a way that no other type of performing does. Yes, it can if you want to go that road. Uh, I think there's all kinds of people with all kinds of ideas about cabaret. And this is such an American thing, the the cabaret performance that doesn't even exist in Europe. In Europe, you are like a, a singer-songwriter or like the French, um, you know, universe of like of Leo Ferré and, and uh, uh, Serge Gainsbourg. They were not cabaret performers. They performed they brought out their soul on stage. They talked about life in a poetic uh, lyric put into music. And it was just like, almost like a piece of literature, a book that you would open. And it was always authentic. So in the American cabaret, it's a bit more glamorous. Um, people take it uh, very much in a Broadway-ish dimension often. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I was always surprised when the, you see the first... 30 years of my life, I wasn't called a cabaret performer. Uh, I was uh, either an actress, a singer, songwriter. But then suddenly uh, I was performing the 54 Below here in New York and I was a cabaret performer. I said, what is that name? What does that even mean? Because a cabaret performer in the 20s, when that first came up with a K and a double T, cabaret, was uh, the political satire where people who were uh, disturbing with their messages, they wanted to wake up the people and change societies back to Brecht, wanted to start a revolution, <clears throat> women declaring their rights. And um, um, it, it was a tool for to, to, for freedom of expression. And nowadays, uh, it, it's a different thing. It's a different vehicle, especially in the States. There's a video of you on your YouTube channel. You're performing live. It's a low stage, just one or two steps up to the stage. Uh, you're sitting down at the edge of the stage singing La Vie en Rose. <laughs> and, you know, after you watch that, you know, first of all, you know, no one else should attempt that song after watching Uta Lemper do that. It's so definitive. But to see you using the stage, using your body, using the time in between the lyrics, it seems like you use just all your powers in that one song, in that one moment. Oh, thank you. That is a long time ago, that performance. I was young, uh, very, uh, very nice to see that. Sometimes I look at my, the younger myself and I find it uh, very interesting. I was very authentic, definitely, and very honest with my performance. And yes, I would say nobody should ever dare to sing this song after Edith Piaf, of course, not after me. But it was um, it was it was a beautiful moment that it was around the album Illusions, nineteen ninety two, with Piaf and uh, some of uh, Dietrich, some uh, Prevair, and yes, it was. Uh, thank you. That was filmed for the BBC at the time. I remember. 
you know, modern singers all want to perform in a stadium, you know, be Taylor Swift or Beyonce. But to see you with that crowd in that intimate setting, why would people want anything bigger? Because you connected with every member of that audience. Well, they do this because they want to make money. You know, you know what you can make on an evening in Madison Square Garden or Yankee Stadium. That is obviously a business um, uh, coup d'etat. <laughs> but um, but it is, um, you know, I have to tell you something. Um, talking about this, when I saw recently Bruce Springsteen on Broadway, you know, uh, telling very purely his autobiography telling his life story only with one guitar here and there playing, accompanying himself, being stripped away from all the rock and roll stick, from all this loud uh, business of bullying it out with beer and rock and roll and bass drum and, and you know, this kind of uh, show. And there you saw this man, this aged man, this weathered man telling with nothing, just a little teleprompter, yes, maybe because... He, there was a lot of words, but just telling it so authentically, I have to tell you, it was almost the best thing I've ever seen on Broadway. To see this man give us his heart and telling about his demons, his failures, his doubts, his uh, broken moments, and the way how 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 he struggled yet um, conquered and. Ah, and uh, it was so beautiful and so authentic. Uh, so I, I think, you know, take these people from the big stages and tell them for a moment, don't worry about the money and put put each of them in a very small theater. You will find a lot of them uh, have have that great talent. You, you can speak to the people when they're in front of you. Um, they are beautiful souls, a lot of them. You just have to strip everything away and... And be able to once give them a platform to be very intimate. And a lot of the times their managers say, oh, no, we don't do that because it's not enough money. <laughs> You're so associated with Dietrich and Piaf. And Piaf and Dietrich were friends. I'm wondering, do you have a close friend who is also a performer? In that way, uh, difficult to say because Pierre and Dietrich were actually intimate friends, believe it or not. They were lovers for a year. Oh, and, my. Oh, yeah. Come on. <laughs> Dietrich was a bisexual and she had lots of girl lovers. And Piaf, not very much, but with Marlena, she approved. And Marlena was a bit of her, had almost like a mother role, uh, brought her to America and um, you know, actually insisted on her singing in English for the Americans and uh, worked on uh, on her career. She was very generous with Edith. And I don't have a friend like that. No, I don't. Mm -hmm. I, my collaborator is pretty much my husband because we produce together and we both, I mean, he is from the, he's a drummer and a bass player. So he comes from the other side and I come from the top of the harmonies and the melodies and the voice. And we kind of uh, complete each other very nicely um, when we don't fight. <laughs> we do fight a lot, of course. You know, you funny that much because we don't talk with a filter in front of our mouth to each other <laughs> because we are together for so long. But we love both making music together. And the, the mm -hmm. album is, is a product of that, uh, of our story too. And um, no, I, I'm pretty much a... Um, yeah, I'm pretty much a loner. I, I go my own road and I don't um, 
I, I sometimes go out to the clubs to see some jazz music and so, but I like uh, very much outside of my very animated tour life in the public eye, I like very much the stillness of being alone at home and very simple to be with my children. You know, you were born the year Piaf died. That is true. Don't so, say that number. <laughs> uh, but I won't say the number, but in a way you took the torch from Piaf as well. A little bit. If the French would allow me that uh, to carry that torch, they're very nationalistic with their, with their um, cultural institutions, and she is one of them. But um, sure, I mean, this was a, an incredible performer, so broken in her heart, a little bird with a broken wing, and yet so truthful. And uh, she just had the sower written into her life. And uh, yeah, it's 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 wonderful that she, she still carries, though, the beauty into this uh, century. So Disney's yeah. new version of The Little Mermaid is coming out, and you dubbed the singing voice of Ariel uh, in German for, for the uh, very popular animated version. Yes, long time ago. Very much, yes. It was an honor to do that. I got thousands of letters, uh, little girls writing me, oh, you are amazing, Ariel, and how do you feel? And I love your long red hair, and can I meet you? And uh, it was just a very sweet, sweet um uh, role to play and and uh, g giving Ariel my voice was was a great honor. Yes. On your album Punishing Kiss, you did a song called Streets of Berlin set to the music of Philip Glass. What is the challenge of setting Philip Glass to lyrics? Well, thank God this was a song, a real like a song, not minimalist music that would have been very hard for me to sing. I would have to use like an opera voice for that. But um, no, this was a song actually uh, from the movie Bend uh, played in Berlin and uh, a homosexual was singing that song in a Berlin nightclub in 1941 before he was uh, shipped uh, to the concentration camp. So it was right. Uh, you know, the storytelling was very much in the my 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 uh, my world of storytelling. I, I hope with Time Traveler, people will go back and revisit the Punishing Kiss album because that also really seemed like a labor of love for you. Yes, and it didn't uh, quite really make the wave that we expected for some reason. It was in between the worlds. At the time, 2000, I was just out of the Broadway and uh, into a new era. And um, yes, I think, yes, obviously, all everything I do is a labor of love. I have to say, I never worked ever for the money it always is a labor of love. Everything around the logistics stuff, the travel, the jet lags, and the schlepping, the suitcases, and all that. Yes, I want to get a little paid for that, but everything else, artistically, is is a labor of love. So, um, yes, now, I hope you, you have a different voice, you know, different skill set, but some of your career, you remind me a lot of Marianne Faithful. Well, Marianne, she has a low rock and roll voice that has been seeing a lot of whiskey over the decades yes i mean she always approached um this uh, she's she's not a, like a singer in the in the i would say in the for, formation of being a singer and she just started singing because she is a, like a character and she has a story to tell and uh she's been um you know in this niche of uh of uh 
people out of this world you know i don't think she ever like wrote her own songs i'm not sure um but there there are certainly she she was the one who actually uh, searched me out about 25 years ago and came to my vile concerts in england i remember the uk and she said you know i want to sing vile and i want to know how you do that and uh and i just you know i thought it was a kind of a stretch in the beginning uh because she didn't come out of that expressionist school but it's mm -hmm. very authentic she certainly has like a pirate jenny or a uh you know like this kind of like outcast uh um mentality and uh, flair about her so, so yeah i think she did a great job over the years with uh with creating her own world of performance yeah i think she embraced tom waits and kind of created her own world but i think one thing is uh, she also worked with nick cave the way you did yes i think that was by by that time 25 years ago it was one world we all saw each other on the festivals in europe um you know the big beautiful summer festivals whether it was the montreux jazz festival or big open um contemporary music festivals it was laurie anderson lou reed nick cave uh marianne faithful um Scott Walker sometimes, and uh, it, it was like a group of sting, a, a group of contemporary, um, uh, offbeat, um, you know, performers that are like uh, bringing a piece of history with them. And yeah, we were all kind of close at the time. Why is it when someone gets established on Broadway and doing show tunes, it can sometimes be so hard to be accepted? if you want to break out of that and do pop or rock music? Well, I think you were on Broadway. You were like someone who trained all your life. You trained your voice to be that su supporting and like, you know, loud and, uh, and belting and you train your acting skills and you do dancing. And so you are, you have to like work on this hard to be on Broadway. I think you have to dedicate your life to it. Now, if you have a career as a rock or pop person, what you do is you spend your life in a music studio. You play the guitar and you figure out tunes, harmonies, production, you get ideas and you, you work on a completely different skill, which is basically putting your life into a song and giving it to the people that they can identify with it and you calm their soul with it, you you shake them up, or you you tell stories like uh, like Joni Mitchell, you know, stories that are forever wonderful to listen to. So it's it's a different formation somehow, and uh, that's why if you put a Broadway singer and say, you know, do do your own song, they it's very hard for them because they haven't spent the hours in the music studio at the piano creating and writing and doubting and. Uh, putting there uh, also to to have your soul in your throat, you know that's important in in pop or rock or jazz that you carry your soul in your throat, and you don't sing with the supporting supporting voice that you have to sing on stage. You you embrace the scratch, you embrace the imperfection, you embrace singing as a very intimate personal statement of life and a reflection of it. On stage, you have to do a job to be up there and reach this theater with almost no amplification. And, oh, it's a whole different thing. It's a whole different shtick. I certainly prefer the the, the studio <laughs> personality approach of singing. 
Do you know Linda Eder? Yes, yes, yes. She's a cabaret lady too here in New York, right? Right, because I think she was, you know, very successful in Jekyll and Hyde. And I think about 20 years ago, didn't she put out a pop album? Yes, I think I think I I wouldn't be able to tell you what it was, but I I have a slight memory of it. Right. And I remember she did covers, of you know, a lot of pop and rock classics and they gave her a big push and it never really quite broke through. And I remember thinking this is good stuff. Was it because of her Broadway background that like pop radio didn't accept her? That I wouldn't know. I have to listen to the album. It's good. I'm not sure that they taboo or demonize that once you're a Broadway star. I, I don't think so. But I'm just going to get out of the music, of the mail thing here. So we don't have. Well, do you, do you think about that with Time Traveler? Like, you know, this could fit into some radio formats. But do you think, oh. Oh, this is Uta Lemper, Broadway. Do, do, do you really want people to have an open mind and say, you know, these new songs could be on a lot of pop radio stations? Well, I haven't been on Broadway for 25 years. You know, this is like the my early but childhood. Uta, but Uta, they're still using your photo from Chicago. Well, that's fine. It was it's a good for <laughs> younger, younger sister <laughs> on that picture. Um, uh, no, I mean, I, I don't have the reputation to be a Broadway star. I much, much, much uh, have the reputation to be a Kurt Weill, a Brettel Brecht interpreter of the Weimar music. That was the big recording career that that got launched, you know, early on in the last uh, century. So, um, I mean, the Broadway exper- experience was a marginal and brief, I would say. I did shows, yes, for the first 10 years of my professional life. But since then, I've done so many out-of-the-box um, creations and so many out-of-the-box venues uh, that um, the Broadway um, thing is, is, is just a... Uh, one facet, one stone in the mosaic, I would say. Okay. And listen, whatever they uh, say, you know, it's whatever it is. I, I did this, and uh, if I, I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't hope so that you get uh, well, stigmatized once you were in Broadway. That's a wonderful thing. So, well, you, uh, I, you, well, you, this is what you make me think of on on the Time Traveler single. It it does have that nice little you know jazz touch to it. Very smooth and easy on the ears. It reminds me back in about the late 80s. Remember when Basha hit the scene? You know, the Bossa Nova style. Pop radio played her a lot and was very receptive to songs like that. You know, and and I see you fitting into something like that, too. I certainly hope so. I hope people will enjoy that song. It's a a really, I think it's really a good song and... uh, it, it, the lyrics are wonderful too. They're not. You have to really listen what I say. There's like little pearls of thoughts in there, and, uh, and just the whole idea of this science fiction uh, time uh, travel is is a wonderful thing. Well, I really certain, and the uh, video is striking. So I certainly hope that um, people will embrace it. That's so- all I can hope for. That's all I can say and hope for, and and that's it. And I'm, and I will still go to sleep uh, in peace if they like it or not like it. <laughs> So you're getting a lot of attention for embracing artificial intelligence. I mean, that's the buzzword of 2023 is AI. And I think you're you're getting it out there before a lot of other artists. Are you getting a lot of attention for the video because of your use of the AI? 
Yes, um, I, I do. I, I got a lot of attention and it definitely is cutting edge. I, uh, it's my team, like as, as two Berlin geeks who did this for me. And uh, yeah, I, I now also understand the implements of AI that it can be a very scary uh, projection in the future of messing with the reality. Uh, but this, of course, was not the purpose in this video. It was creating a storytelling, like a little science fiction movie. And uh, it's all in the context of art. And it was very uh, wonderful to see you, you see like incredible things. But, um, you know, obviously I, I do worry about the future and future for my children and what technology was so outrageously uh, progressing fast over the last 20 years. It's just not to be believed what will happen over the next 20 years. I'm a, I'm a little worried about it. Well, how about just the rights to your likeness and your voice? How about in, in 50 years, will people be taking your voice and creating new songs out of it? I'm not sure. I mean, you can do already nowadays so much. Whatever you hear on pop radio nowadays, it's already not it's completely manipulated. The auto-tune and the, all the effects on the voice, the compression and uh, the way they um, uh, quantize it and they put it into like exact rhythm. Nothing what you hear in pop radio is reflecting anything of a true singer of what was sung in the studio. It's uh, it's it's such a uh, um, uh, surgery, plastic surgery that don't believe that that is uh, what, what, what the artist did. It's all production. The, it's production value. You could be singing new duets with Marlena Dietrich or Edith Piaf. <laughs> nice idea, my dear. <laughs> <laughs> Who would I will you... credit you for this. I will credit you for this. <laughs> well, do you remember back when Natalie Cole did the duet yeah. with Nat King Cole? Yes, I do. I do remember that. That was a wonderful idea. It was a showstopper. Yes, that could possibly be. You see, and when I'm doing my Marlene Dietrich show, I have like a um, actually some interesting um, um, projection behind me where uh, she, uh, you know, she appears and, you know, it's like a beautiful visual um, a projection uh, right on the on the black screen behind me. And sometimes when I do bigger shows, I also have a live camera with me. They film me, but um, at the same time project it into her image. And in black and white, you know, that's it's kind of like old um, uh, uh, cellulite. Uh, celluloid. Um, um, it's 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 qu quite magical. Already now we're experimenting a little bit in um, time warping Malena and me together in in these live shows. With, you know, in that video promo, I saw glimpses of that. It was almost like. You are channeling Marlena. Oh yes, I'm very much. I'm channeling her. Channeling her. I'm becoming a complete different person when I'm her. I speak different. I have a different diction. I I, I carry myself differently, and uh, I something happens with my face. Yeah, it's it's scary. <laughs> People who know me say, "Wow, that is a complete different person when you suddenly channel her." It is true. Well, I don't know what your thoughts are on spirituality or the afterlife. But do you ever feel Marlena's presence? Oh, I, I don't know. That's such an incredible question. And it's so uh, we, we just really don't know. You know, my, my father passed away about a month ago. And um, it was so 
strange that suddenly you know he was there and the next day he wasn't he, he literally died of COVID believe it or not he was a frail old man and uh, just couldn't fight it and then I'm since of course I'm trying to see are there any signs what could there be that is he saying something to me do I what, what but what I can only say he lives so strongly in my heart in my memory and for now that is it I don't see any things moving around <laughs> but I so also my mom who passed away eight years ago it was a big big shock for me and I'm so closer to her since she passed away because I think of her constantly and uh, her presence and what she meant to me. She, I'm closer to her now since uh, she passed than I was in my life because we were very different uh, people and couldn't connect on many subjects. And we had the Atlantic Ocean in between us as a geographical separation. So I'm not sure, but there are certain some cosmic things that do happen to us um cosmic in the way that things reappear or that you feel like oh my god that i can't believe i'm really doing this now and it is a continuation of something that was maybe predestined many years ago somehow there there are some cosmic elements and i'm a spiritual person um in that context and in the context of um you know trying to make the best out of your life it's not just a life to live it's a life to reach out to create to to give to heal others and to um of course to try to make sense of it and we're all experimenting with that what did your parents think of your success uh, my, my very early success was crazy i my first breakthrough was when i was 22 and i was so incredibly famous in, in Germany and France uh, at the time and then later in England. And so that they were very overwhelmed and uh, did not like the attention. They didn't like the attention. And yeah, later on, they got used to it. Um, It's a complicated relationship. My father certainly was a little bit proud of me or maybe very much proud. My mother would have preferred that I'm just a very normal mother and i would spend a lot more time with her with my children her grandchildren than i did do they just want you to be more catholic oh that, that is long that subject is done <laughs> since i'm 18. <laughs> a paper i signed and i said goodbye to those taxes <laughs> no 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 i mean the religion has long been put under into the coffin that is not not any i i was I emancipate I emancipated myself from this a long time ago. I'm just going to, to have to open quickly the door. Somebody's ringing. One second. It is my son coming home from school. Oh. Well, yeah. then how old how old is your son? Well, the youngest is 12. The oldest is 28. Oh, okay. Well, he he'll probably then the young one will go straight to his room and play video games. Uh, well, I hope not, but I hope he's going to give me a hug and uh, and tell me how his day was. Usually he does that. He's still very much a child and so adorable. I want to eat him up. Now, now, how aware is he of your career? Does he know the full, you know, greatness of, of Uta Lemper? I'm not sure. Jonas, come here for a second. 
Quick, quick, quick. Come here. You, you don't see anything. It's it's only audio. You don't have, don't have to worry. So the gentleman is asking, how much are you aware of my career? What I do, what I do for life? Um. Yeah? Well, you um make music. Yes, I make music? Yeah, and, and that's kind of it, I guess. <laughs> that's kind of it, I guess. And you like it? Yes. Mm. Okay, sweet. I see you in a minute. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Wasn't that sweet for a podcast? My, my first generation of kids, I took them on tour a lot. The now 28-year-old and my 26-year-old daughter. The two of them, you know, in the 90s, we were like rock and rolling like a, a family on the road, in the tour buses, all over the Mediterranean countries. And uh, they they know a lot more of my work than the next generation here. I, I basically um, didn't drag them that much uh, with me, which is maybe a good and healthy thing. <laughs> are, are you teaching them German? No, I don't. I teach no? them I teach I teach them French and it's very hard. I have to be so consistent. If I wanted if they want them to learn German, I have to be consistent, consistent. And I never felt that much of a connection to my roots that I have to pull this through on a family level. You listen, I mean, I learned English later, French later. If they want to learn a language, they can learn it. I don't have to do the uh, the at home nonstop. For me, my universe with my children, the stories I tell them, our life here in Manhattan, we are speaking English. This is our way of communicating and I'm very happy in that world. It's a very different, if, if I would speak to them in German, things would change slightly. And I don't want that. You know, when you're out walking in the Upper West Side, do people recognize you? Sometimes they do. Yes, you know, I'm not glammed up at all when I walk around here. I'm wearing my jeans and sneakers and t-shirt, and um, sometimes people recognize me. Yes, yeah, I'm I'm about to release a video now, <clears throat> which is uh, made to my song at the reservoir on the new album. You you can hear it now; it's out on Spotify already. But now I'm going to release the full video at the reservoir. And that's really one of the beautiful songs on the album. I just love that song. I basically wrote it in my head walking around the reservoir in Central Park here in Manhattan. And that song was just written in my mind. And I went straight to the piano one day and I said, this is the song. I'm going to put it on the album because I love to walk around the reservoir. And we filmed a little video through the different seasons, winter, springtime, the blossoms, summer, and the fall is so gorgeous there. And uh, the icicles in the winter last November when it was so freezing here. You see it on the video. <clears throat> Check it out. It's coming out uh, basically beginning of next week called At the Reservoir. At the Reservoir. Well, do you feel like a New Yorker now? Oh, very much, you know. And I'm here for 26 years, but I felt this after three months being here. I love to be an immigrant here in this place of immigrants in this place that really reflects every culture of the world. It's always animated. There's always life. There are children. It's residential. <clears throat> I rarely go now to Times Square, by the way. And um, I just, yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, you know that show Sex in the City, and now there's the reboot and just like that. Do, do they ever, like, shoot near where you live? As a matter of fact, one of the girls, the red-haired one, what was her name? Uh, was Miranda. Cynthia Nixon. Cynthia Nixon, yeah. She lived in my street next door. What? 
for many years with her daughter, her family. I think they moved about five years ago. Yeah, I saw her nonstop at the JCC community on the playgrounds with her kids and very down to earth, as you can imagine she is. And yeah, I also saw Sarah Jessica Parker running around here. And, and you know, this neighborhood is a lot of actors. Matt Damon used to live here for a long time with his kids. I see him bringing his kids to school in the mornings. Ben Stiller went to the school in the neighborhood here. Um, and no, the, 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 a lot of people just lead these wonderful, very normal lives here and are basically, you know, most of the time they are left alone. People don't really disturb them too much. They need to ask you to do a cameo on that show because it's all about, you know, the quintessential New Yorkers and celebrating New York. You know, you need to show up in like in a nightclub scene or something. Yeah. Okay. I'll do that if they ask me. <laughs> no, <laughs> have, <a> call. <laughs> what, what are some of the weird things you've shown up in, like movies or TV shows? You know, the, the one thing was the Robert Altman movie, Prêt-à-Porter, Ready oh, to Wear. Yes, I saw that in the theater when it came out. I love that. 19, uh, 1994, Paris. I was pregnant, nine months pregnant with my first child, Max. And I was in the, I was the model, the pregnant model in that movie. What? And uh, yeah, that was me. I have to go you back see, and see that now. You, you saw me naked there, yes. <laughs> you might faint. <laughs> but I was nine months pregnant. It was uh, basically there was a belly walking. That's it. You can't call that naked. It was a belly. <laughs> and uh, then uh, I did the cameo stuff. The funny stuff was in the Woody Allen movie Moonlight or something. I was uh, actually a Berlin cabaret singer. Oh, and then Bogus. I was in Bogus uh, and I played this the, this uh, circus woman flow this flying circus woman <laughs> and what, what movie was that in bogus bogus okay wow so you worked with robert altman woody allen you're in bogus well, Wilson, and peter greenaway i was in that uh, movie uh prosperous books yeah i, I michael nyman's music so i i sang a song in it i was in that big uh i don't know it was one of the goddesses goddess cirrus was her name so are you do you, are you kind of like a muse to some of these directors? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I was at a certain time, but I met some extraordinary uh, artists. Like uh, I would say, like Maurice Béjar, the great choreographer. I worked with him. Certainly, he created a ballet for me. Beginning of the nineties was uh, La Mort Subite. Was very incredible production. Michael Nyman, I worked with him for a while and we did this big songbook together with the music of the text by Paul Celan. <clears throat> you you and, say uh, that so casually. Oh, th this famous guy created a ballet for you. How many people have ballets created just for them? That's amazing. Yeah, it, it was wonderful and very hard work at the time. Yes, it was a very a great honor. What, what an unbelievable a god of the ballet, Maurice Béjar. So do people just come out of the woodwork and offer you strange work? <laughs> no, no. This was a long time ago. But like uh, today, like in 2023, like do people want you to be in their off, off, off Broadway musicals? Well, sometimes things come up, yeah. Most of the time it's not so good and I'm not doing it because I, I can't spend my time on something that I don't really, really want to do. 
Um, mostly today, I really work my own projects. I'm not so great on collaborations. And uh, I always would think twice about going back into a production like that. That is not my own. Is that why you like painting? Because you have all the control? I also don't paint at the moment. I stopped painting when I started writing music. There was only that much time that I had in my life to be isolated, alone, and creative. When you're a mother, that time is very limited. At the time before 2000, I painted in those moments. And since 2000, I go to my piano and write music or write poetry. So this whole thing of time, you've got a lot of life left in you. Because the same amount of time I have since we're practically the same age. So, but do you feel like at this point in your life, yeah, time is even more precious. And are you really conscious of how you want to spend the next couple decades creatively? I'm not planning it. I'm not really projecting into my future. All I want to know is I want to be free, independent. I want to be able to work without too much pressure. Just for the labor of love, I want to be able to take care of my kids. And um, yeah, I want to be healthy. But the, the rest comes as a little flicker of a, a shooting star. They just appear in front of your eyes. You grab it and you make a project out of it. And uh, it sudden, sometimes comes as a surprise. I didn't plan this album. It mm -hmm. came as a surprise to me through this suggestion of this old material that I rediscovered. And I suddenly said, okay, I made it a project. And I think maybe the next one will appear like this too. I'm not exactly sure. I'm not defining my future and there's no goal that I have to reach. What kind of legacy do you think you'll be remembered for? Well, so far the legacy is more regarding, um, you know, the protagonist of the revival of the Brecht and Weil music, the music of Weimar, with uh, you know m multiple uh, LP CDs at the time, recordings by uh, Universal Music, and that is still very much uh, you know the beginning of my career, and and it's still very much my legacy because that was an overwhelming and important step of my career. Then some <clears throat> movies, Broadway projects I have created, and <clears throat> you know the. I'm not sure, you know, what uh, people... I certainly was uh, like an, uh, one of the very few German women who made and who was able, who was privileged to make an international career. And I find it overwhelming that I go to Buenos Aires or Sao Paulo, to Sydney, Melbourne, or to Hong Kong, and to Moscow and Warsaw, and everywhere in Europe. And I find people come to my concerts. I'm just very, very very privileged and very grateful for this. Do you think with this project portraying Marlena Dietrich that in some way you can help maybe heal a little, you know, unfinished business she had with Germany? Yes, I'm certainly speaking in her voice to the people, reminding them what happened. And uh, I, I think if she's around, I do think she might thank me for it. See if there is like an afterlife and a way to contact the living. I think out of anyone <laughs> on this planet, you're the one person Marlena would especially like to contact. 
Yes, maybe she has. And maybe she, there's a part of her in me when I'm doing her, when I'm performing her, when I'm channeling her. I feel like she's guiding me a little bit on that. And I'm I still, still waiting for the pinch of the pinch in my on my she I want her to pinch me in my arm right now. <laughs> but you see, it doesn't work like this. It, it's it's something that you open, you open a little door and uh and might maybe there will be some certain contact or connection or energy that is shared it's not the pinch in the arm it's not the moving of the book it's something else <laughs> i, I want to wrap up by saying first of all you know thank you for sharing all this and you know taking a little bit of extra time especially on such a special day which is the release of the full album time traveler <laughs> years in the making and otherwise, um, I just am really anxious to see the Marlena Dietrich project you've been working on. And I think all these icons that you've been channeling would be so honored that you're the vehicle for keeping their work alive. Oh, thank you so much, Kelly. This has been the Rising Star Podcast with your host, Kelly Hughes.